Thank you for listening to Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body. This is episode 64, Act 1, Yasmani Arboleda, Mobilizing Interdependence, recorded January 9th, 2023. So damn tired of waiting on a perfect A plus B. The one size fits all prudent kids all screaming about irrevocability. Let's burn some bridges, earn some stitches, and fight our own way free. Cause the rules don't lie, but they don't apply to people like you and me. Let's start it up now. 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 Now they say it's all decided, all divided, all laid out. And the pushcart man with a three-part plan can't understand what you're shouting about. But when the past they plow, the lives allowed are the only roads you can see. Just remember who walls were built to fall for old people like you and me. Let's start it up now. 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 Hey, ITA audience. Welcome to Teaching Artistry, powered by A Space Between. This podcast is researched, recorded, and produced on the unceded lands, water, and air, stewarded by the Canarsie and Munsee Lenape peoples in what is colonially known as Brooklyn, New York. Thanks so much for listening and supporting this indie podcast. Y'all, we have surpassed 40 thousand plays. Invite your peeps, colleagues, and friends to join our global community and subscribe on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any podcast player. And follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Teaching Artistry Podcast. Head over to teachingartistry.org to access episodes, guest bios, e-zines, merch, and more. So I'm currently at an artist retreat, which I've been here before. This is my third visit in total, uh, my first as an alumni, being invited back uh, as an alumni. Uh, wow, just feeling incredibly grateful to be here. Um, I'm actually recording from the studio that they give us. It's really great. But um, yeah, being here, uh, I'm on a beach, water, I'm actually surrounded by water. Um, lots and lots of nature. It does something for me. Um, I can't really quite describe it because I felt it almost immediately um, after arriving. Been here for less than two days, two full days, and already I feel like my shoulders have dropped. I'm breathing. I'm resting. I'm um, feeding myself, uh, both figuratively and literally. Um, And I just have that space to move or stay still, enjoy the nature around me, engage with other artists, um, see their work in action uh, as it comes, etc. But um, the time is really what I make of it. And um, I'm excited to create something. And I'm also deciding like, to move at the pace with which it's funny, I think I'm finally getting it now that I'm an alum, like how to be here, which is to take the time to be a sponge, to take the time to refill, to take the time to allow those 
um, big ideas and visions that sort of dance and get put on a shelf um, in my regular everyday to allow them to come out of the attic and have space and maybe get documented in some kind of way. Um, so this podcast is one of those things that I'm working on, obviously, but um, there are a couple of other things. And saying that makes me think about this article, this article that I read in the Washington Post, which is called Forget Independence, Teach Your Kids This Instead. And it's written by Jennifer Brahenny Wallace, uh, and it came out on August 14th, 2023. The crux of the article is about Uh, focusing on the interdependence of us all and how we can teach this to kids. So I'm going to read you a quote. Quote, rather than understanding one's inherent value comes from knowing one's place in community from the sense that others value you and that you value others, researchers call this, quote unquote, mattering. Only by building interdependence can kids gain social proof that they do indeed matter. I really urge you to read this because one, it made me think of our guest, but two, I'm just wondering like, how do we teach this this idea of interdependence to kids unless we first acknowledge this as adults and find ways to activate this knowledge to have positive, impactful change within our society and systems. And a lot of the conversation that I have with Yasmani Arboleda is very rooted in interdependence. Um, Yasmani is a faux horse. Uh, I would liken his energy to a, a tornado. It's fast, it whips around, and it responds to what is directly in front of him. And yeah, he's very much in the moment. And yet, instead of destruction in his wake, he leaves people thinking and feeling and moving uh, in some sort of new, creative, grounded way. I find him remarkable, (laughs) just absolutely remarkable. Um, So in this act, I, I, I try to meet him where he is or was on that day. And we quickly shift from you know, his background and growing up into converse, uh, conversations about his practice, big questions that he's having, big questions around the field, um, our approaches to work and how we as artists can make impactful change, there's that term again, by breaking down silos and shining a light on ways to acknowledge and take action in a more connected manner. Here is episode 64 Act one, Yasmeni Arboleda, mobilizing interdependence. Hello, Yasmeni. Hey, Courtney. Welcome to Teaching Artistry. Uh, this is a podcast that celebrates artists, culture, and equity. And we've already started having a very, very interesting conversation off record. Um, but I am excited to learn about your journey um, in life. Um, but f- with a focus on arts, education, community engagement, advocacy. Um, and so how are you doing today? I am doing really well. I had a very productive day and mm-hmm. I feel very present. Oh, good. 
Well, if you want to bring anything else into the space, you can you can certainly do that, whatever feels right for you. Yeah, I guess I'll just name that as we move into 2023, there's a lot of me that still, because of the amount of work and the, the beauty of the projects that I engaged with in 2022, and also the challenges in my personal life, there's an intensity that I've been moving through in all of my work, and so I've had highs and lows, and it's just, I'm, I'm moving into the into the new year with ease, trying to have a lot of grace for myself um, in the processes and the, the timing of things, and just being a little, being gentle. I hear that. I, that resonates very loudly with me. I <clears throat> I often feel like at the top of a of a year you can either, you know, get sort of caught up in a maelstrom <laughs> or make a choice and um regardless of all all the things that are happening around us really try and have a present mind and heart. Um so I appreciate you sharing that. Um, can you explain to us what your current roles are and where you work within our field? Yeah, thank you for the question. Uh, I appreciate beginning with complexity. <laughs> I, I'm currently, I have the title of the People's Artist for the City of New York. And what that means is that I work at the Civic Engagement Commission at the Department of Culture. I collaborate with the Department of Transportation, the Mayor's Office of Immigrant Affairs, and a bunch of other city agencies. And a huge part of, of the work that I'm that I'm leading has to do with bringing those agencies together in response to public happenings like the People's Festival, something we created in 2021 um, that continues to, to, to happen. It's, it's related to the People's Bus um and all of the all of that um and so that's one of the things that i've been that i'm focusing on but in my art practice i have a studio and a lot of what we do is focusing on transformation and change and so a lot of what i uh, engage with is the question of who can how can we who are we here and how can we create together and how do we in that co-creation address uh, questions of our time challenges that we're dealing with uh things that we all want to grapple with how do we express ourselves together and so a huge part of my work is really around, it really happens in the in a process of identifying together what we want to make and why and how. So I've interacted with you, I think, closer to the second role that you named in terms of being an artist. And any time I've interacted with you, which I'll name the two times, <clears throat> the first time I met you, you were working as part of the International Teaching Artists Conference that took place at um, Carnegie Hall in, I think, in 2018. Um, and you were sort of like the resident artist and you were creating a quilt of some sort. Totally. So I was invited by ITAG, uh, the International Teaching Artist Conference, to create a piece with everyone who was coming. And what we did, I don't know if you remember, I asked everyone before coming to New York City, because people, artists were coming from all over the world, to bring a piece of fabric that symbolizes home to each of them. And the idea is that throughout the conference, people could come together and sew their pieces of fabric together eventually turning into a very large flag mm -hmm. that has now been traveling around the world and has continued to grow as people have engaged with it. I remember your energy at that time, which I was very drawn to. And then, you know, I didn't see you again. And I was like, oh, that person is great. It seemed great. And then <clears throat> more recently, I uh, was working, I, wor I did one event, I attended an event and then I supported a, an, an event that you seem to be a lead somebody on um, uh, for the little Amal, which we can talk to you about like very, very specifically, but that those two things. And it was wonderful to see you. Cause I was like, Oh, 
right. I remember this person. I really want to, I want to talk to him. So that's what, you know, that's where the invitation came from. But when you talked about the work that you're doing as part of, um, the culture, uh, the department of cultural affairs, like I didn't, I didn't know any of that. Yeah. I was elected the first public artist in residence for the Civic Engagement Commission. And I'm actually the first artist ever to be actually hired by the city after holding my public artist in residence role within an agency. And so part of what I'm interested in is really breaking ground and creating new patterns and having the government hire artists to actually practice their work and transform the way they do what they do is one of those things that I think is really, really critical. Okay. Because again, Yes. Without beauty and joy, government cannot be sustainable. And so how do we bring these folks to do this work and to change the way that that work is done? Mm. The role that I was holding for Little Amal was that I, I was, I, in my, I, I get invited into projects. And when I when St. Anne's Warehouse and Susan Feldman heard that I was going to be, that, that Little Amal should be coming to New York, she, she brought me in so that I could lead the production of the 50 events we did uh, in the fall of 2022. Amazing. Amazing. Um, so uh, there's so many threads that we are going to pull on. We're going to pull on the being a vanguard and being hired as a resident uh, artist or a re- an artist as part of government. And what does that mean? Uh, I've had lots of like musings on my own. What could happen if artists were centered within government and wh- how would that impact policies, procedures from a, a social, political um, and financial perspective of a government. Love that. Love that. So let's talk about who you are as an artist. How do you identify as an artist? And do you want to talk a little bit more about the work that you're doing in your studio? Yeah, you know, I love this idea of the question of how do I identify as an artist? The person that I thought of when I saw that question was human. I don't know. Like for me, all of the, I, I'm, I'm interested in, in, in really continuously being curious about the state of my own existence. And so when I think about all the things that I make, yes, I've made movies and I've made paintings and I've made photographs. And a lot of the time when I think about like, what is the medium that I work with? I'm like, it's people. I invite people to imagine things with me and we all work together to create whatever it is. And so in the past that has looked like I, uh, from 2013 to 2018 in Kenya, uh, from Nairobi to Mombasa, we painted 16 houses, uh, 16 houses of worship yellow in the name of love mosques, temples, churches. And the idea was not only that we were all painting these buildings uh, yellow, optimistic yellow was the name the name we gave to that yellow. Mm-hmm. Um, and that it was about sharing that, our, that we were sharing with each other that we were humans and that we could respect each other even though we have different, different beliefs. All the things that I always talk about is, I mean, for me, it's so critical that not only the expression of those buildings as sculptures in the landscape that speak about who we are as people, but furthermore, the time people spend painting together. So like having a conversation about what, what we love to do on Sundays or what's our favorite food, simple things that actually begin to connect folks to like their, the simplicity of being alive uh, for, be- for lack of better language, but just people getting to know each other. And so when I think about my art practice is really coming up with impossible ideas together and then making those ideas happen. And as we do, creating friendships that last for the rest of our life. And because those friendships exist, our lives are forever changed because there's new opportunities, perspectives, ways of approaching that you you now have, right? And so there's been a, a, a lot of my projects because of the scale and scope of, 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 of them, um, often have enormous pressure and tensions and all these things. And I always tell people, oh my goodness, yes, 
but also how awesome that we get to experience this together. <laughs> and you don't think it now, but later you'll turn back and laugh at the crazy things we had to do, you know, when we were painting those buildings yellow. And, you know, yeah, I think it's a really, really, uh, I, I depend often on, I really want to practice interdependence mm -hmm. and I really want to be in a, in, a, in a process that allows us to be in process. And so when I think about my work, I really center like, what, is the, what are the questions that are coming forward for each of us? What's coming? How do how does that out of common? How do we then tell a story through that commonality that leads us to a new place? Um, because what we, we humans don't realize is that we're actually continuously creating the future in this moment together all the time. We just are not naming it and practicing it in the way that we should, right? Like anything's possible. We just have to decide that it is, and then we do it. I kind of jumped a little bit into my art practice. Yeah. I'll tell you a little bit about what informs it. I was born in Boston to immigrant parents. My mother crossed the border multiple times illegally through the border in the South, uh, through San Juan. She took a flight to Mexico City and then literally walked north on a beach, pregnant with me, to San Diego, where her cousin picked her up. And then she took a flight to Boston, where I was born. Um, but then when I was four, my family moved back to Colombia. Uh, when I was 11 years old, my father was assassinated uh, in Medellin. And two of my uncles were killed and tortured to death. Actually, tortured to death, yeah. Um, and so, an enormous amount of trauma and heart, heartache at the very beginning of my life. Uh, because of that happening, we moved then back to the, the state. I grew up in South Florida until I was 18. And then I went to, to school in Washington, D.C. for five years where I got my master's of architecture uh, because that is what I studied uh, formally. Um, my, through my architectural practice and my edu architectural, edu architectural education, every other semester I would study a different field for the sake of myself and my own expansion. And so I studied industrial design, fashion design in, in Milan, in, in Italy. I studied um, design management in London. Um, and I, when I did my master's, I spent a semester in Brazil working at an, uh, an architecture firm that's called Onorte, where there's painters, musicians, and architects that all work in the same space. Mm -hmm. And I went there without speaking any Portuguese. And I learned Portuguese as I designed the brand for like their logo and their website uh, for the for the organization. And that was part of my thesis, my architectural thesis. Mm. So cross-pollination, mismatching, and, and like really playing across a lot of different cultures and spaces intentionally to really get to know what brings us together, what unites us. Um, this is related to something that's really important in terms of my cre the creation of who I am is that I grew up in a Catholic family in Medellin, a very conservative Catholic family as a very flavorful homosexual. Um, I identify as queer right now, but for the majority of my life, people have made fun of, of, my, of the way that I move, the way that I talk, the way that I am in the world. And it is a result of me trying to find belonging through my art practice that I have found my healing. And mm -hmm. so I, I, I'm very aware of like all of the sequences of all the things that have led to my capacity to do what I do today. You know, you just shared very quickly, might I say, you know, some some real traumas that you had in your life at, at an early age. I guess what I'm what I'm trying to understand inside of who you are um, and who you are now, your trauma response could have been very different than what it seemed like it was. For sure. And that's been, I don't know, I don't know if I can name like miracle as part of my my capacity to continue and keep going and like have faith and, and be hopeful. Um, but for sure, I feel like my capacity to understand desperation and heartache and 
devastation and fear and like you know having to run away and literally we 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 after my father was assassinated, we had to hide out for about two months in the mountains. And I will tell you that there was a woman who we stayed with and she made her livelihood out of making frozen sweets, like the, the things you sell at, in front of the school when school yeah. comes out, yeah. she would she would have a little card and sell those things. But most of the time, because there wasn't, any, there wasn't much for us to do, I would literally help her make those frozen sweets and color them. And that's what I spent two months doing because there was nothing else to do. And that's what she did in her little house where we were hiding because mm -hmm. people couldn't know where we were. And so when I think about like all the reasons people flee from their homes, when I think about questions of migration, I think it's so personal and it's so embodied. And I so understand it in my hands and in my legs and in the history. Like, you know, when I think about like the history of my family and what my mother had to do so I could be born in this country, so that I could have access to opportunities. I feel like I'm very, very uh, sensitive and aware to those things. And it informs the way I show up in space and the way that I bring people together. When I ask a very simple, what I think is a simple question of like, how do you identify as an artist? Like how complex and layered that is for somebody who's had your life experience and your chosen, you know, experiences in terms of your schooling and education. Well, you know, the, a huge part of the reason I went to study abroad and all the places that I did and what I like, what I was studying, different types of design and and craft making and and all the different ap ap approaches to you know ex expression in the world. Um, when I went to Brazil to engage and to be, I was basically doing an internship during my masters, and in that internship, I was I was experiencing people who identified as architects but we're also making paintings and we're the leaders of bands. And so there was music and there was a kind of, it, it, not that all the lines were blurred, but all the lines were blurred, right? Like we were all just alive. And I think I think actually very much related to my, my hope for a future society in which all people identify as artists because everyone's practicing creativity and imagination. And that actually allows you to actually understand that you wear different hats all the time and that there's complexities and flexibilities in you and in all of us that we should be aware of, but because we're so focused on our singular careers and our like journeys and in the way that we've set up life in the way that we live now, I think that it's it's a missed opportunity, right? Like we have the capacity. And for me, the people that I, well, some of the people that I admire the most is those who have gone on to be more, all the, you know, a lawyer and a doctor. And my, my, I have a friend who's, who, who actually went to school for acting and then went to divinity school and now is um, a director of an educational program. My friend Mauricio Salgado, who again, like that journey oh, yeah, of like, Mauricio. Oh, Mauricio, Mauricio went to divinity school and directing school and acting school. And so for me, I'm like, yeah, what are the ways in, we can, in which we can mix it up and be our full selves and live our present questions without fear? Something that you said about like the interconnectedness of, you know, our lived experiences, what we want to do and how we want to create. Um, where are you seeing either in projects or where are you seeing examples of how that is put into practice, how people are bringing their whole selves into a project and how they're creating um, from this very nuanced, layered, complex way without feeling hindered by it, but actually inspired and informed by it. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, here's what I feel like in my mind, when I think about where we are in the world, we went through the pandemic and through the pandemic, we said, this, what we've known, this, no more, right? We all were like, enough is enough. Our lives have changed. We cannot longer get, you know, we cannot keep going the way we've 
and keeping going, right? We all said that. And very quickly, we all went back to the exact same systems. And I think to actually, uh, to a degree and a desire because we had to catch up, yeah. right? Yeah. And in my mind, when I think about what we're all going through, it's kind of like, a, non, like a, a redoing of the undoing of the redoing. And it's a little bit of like, we can no longer keep things siloed. And we can no longer, like we, there's too much transparency. There's too much access. We are too tired, right? Like there's too much we've been, and so, we, we're needing to grapple with the question of like the systems of capitalism that have led us to this moment. Mm -hmm. And even when I think about like the amount of things that have that are on my to-do list that stress me out, I think, oh my goodness, the reality is that like if I allow myself and I give my sp the, the, the space that I need to be able to move through this list with joy, how does that change it? Mm -hmm. And how does that shift? And so continuously, I think about the question, uh, working at the speed of trust. How do we work at the speed of like getting to know each other and being in process and knowing that we are just beginning here today, you and I, Courtney. Yeah, yeah. Right, like all of that allowing, allowing for that undoes other things mm -hmm. in, my, in my experience. And so often it is kind of like what we're coming to is like, oh, we can no longer operate the way we did because that was terminal. Like it was, it's killing us, right? Like misinformation is killing us. The systems of the, the democracy, our democracies are, apparel right like we just saw in brazil the same thing we had happen here in the capital and so when we think about this question of like who trusts who and why and why do people believe what they believe it, there's a lot of work to be done locally by all of our leaders to really bring home like the fact that we can trust each other and believe that you know our systems are going to take care of us and not kill us talking about government and having artists be engaged as employ or as part of the government, you know, during early days of the pandemic, I was asking these kinds of questions with no experience. I've never worked for the government. I don't know if I'll ever will, but I just was like, what if that could happen? Wouldn't that, don't we think that that would change something? And that was just me sitting with this little microphone asking questions. Right. But you're actually there. You're in it. You're doing it. Right. So and I literally I will begin. This is a wonderful like we can dive down this way and find our way. But I'll tell you that when I was when I got the call that I got the position as artist in residence for the Civic Engagement Commission, um, it was really exciting uh, because I had a whole set of beliefs that I thought were would be the truth, but that weren't. Ooh. And I want to name them for you so that I think we can work we can work through it together. Right. When first of all, I was like, oh, my gosh, the Civic Engagement Commission, it was just created. It was created. It's the only civic. It's the only agency in the city that has a mandate to build trust in our democracy. OK, the only one. Nothing what? else within city governance is mandated to build trust in our democracy. Important. Right. That was a highlight for me. Mm. And then the other piece for me was that it was mandated to create access, language access to voting and all kinds of things in all the 11 languages of New York City. So to all of our residents, people should have access to everything in their own language. We're mandated as an agency to bring that into life. So the multiplicity of all the languages that are spoken in Queens, how do we actually communicate with folks and find folks where they live? How many languages are spoken in New York City? Is it over 200, right? Yeah, and also we have in, in Queens, it's per square, square foot, the place where there's the most languages spoken in any place in the world, in the world. Yeah. So, yeah. And then the third thing that the Civic Engagement Commission is mandated to work on is community boards. And as we know, community boards are not a great success for a bunch of reasons that we can talk about. 
But when I showed up, I was like, oh my gosh, I get to work on all of these things and how they're gonna change because these agencies knew they're just beginning. It had eight staff members when I joined. Okay. Um, and immediately, because when I worked, my, my first day of work was August 3rd, 2021. And at that moment in New York City, in this apartment where I'm sitting right now on the corner of Essex and Canal, I could hear all of the protests going by. Mm -hmm. And from my fire escape, I saw all of the old people, all kinds of people out, you know, with their pants, making noise with their pancarts, with their, you know, their t-shirts, everybody protesting Black Lives Matter, you know, right? Like all of these things, systemic oppression uh, across the board in so many ways. So, pre you know, prevalent because we were, we could not look away. There was nowhere to look but there, mm. uh, the injustice and the challenges. Um, and I showed up at the Civic Engagement Commission. I was like, oh my gosh, all of those millions of people who are marching on our streets are our people. They just need to know we exist, right? Mm -hmm. We are here to support the truth of the people. And so when I showed up and I said that, they were like, what do you mean? And they were like, no, actually like, you know, we're mandated to support all New York City residents, all New York City residents. And when I showed up, one of the things that was really hard was that as a team of people, the commission, the staff of the commission, had not could not agree on stating publicly the words Black Lives Matter. The Civic Engagement Commission in the year 2021 in the city of New York. And so immediately I began to understand that within the eight people that worked at the Civic Engagement Commission, there was uh, varying degrees of people who called themselves um, liberals, right? And then you begin to dissect and like, like people who identify as liberal, oh my go goodness, Courtney, you have no idea, and everything, right? Like the spectrum is enormous. Yeah. And if we allow for that spectrum, maybe, I don't know, I feel like so often we, sh we, we, we have these binaries that, are, that cut us short and that don't give us enough space to actually fully exp experience life. Mm -hmm. and, it's, and, and so this was the beginning. I was like, uh, what do you mean? We, we can't just get all these folks from the streets and like empower them to actually like, get resources to do whatever needs to be done? No, actually. The agency works within a system of agencies within a city governance that has existed for more than hundred years, that has patterns and rules and regulations that are, gonna, that are there and that those people who are hired to lead those spaces oftentimes lead with a very clear understanding of the parameters they're given, but there's folks like Dr. Sarah Saeed and the, uh, one, the, one of the chief advisors, uh, Wendy Troll, people who saw me and understood the questions that I was asking about, because I immediately I was like, oh my gosh, the challenge with our agency is that we have to be in all the languages and not, we're not even, we're not even halfway there, right? Like, and people, if people knew we were here that we want to participate, but they have no idea we're here. So from the very beginning, when I, the biggest question that I came up with during that process was mobility. The Civic Engagement Commission should meet the people where they are. We hmm. cannot do that if we don't have wheels. So I got the Department of Corrections to let us borrow a to let us borrow a bus from Rikers Island, and then we over a period of four and a half five months, actually the bus continues to change. But we transformed the bus into a mobile community center that is an art piece that has 8.8 .8 million beads that represent 8.8 .8 million New Yorkers. But it's a work of art, and he's been traveling, promoting, getting at the vote effect, like uh, teaching people how to rank choice vote, right? Mm -hmm. Like how do we transform? taking that vehicle and mobilizing it in the communities where, where most people come from who are in those prisons, in, in, how do we switch the narrative, right? And so 
a huge part of the work that I've done as an artist in residence has to do with looking for the loopholes and the opportunities within the system to change it. And it's a little bit, I always say like, it's a little bit like a trick. We, it's like magic tricks. Finding the places where you can maximize and minimize and figure out who's going to say, yes, let's do this. This is a good idea. It's a whole journey. I'm picturing the bus, the mobile bus going around and, and I'm sure it's gorgeous. And I love the idea of the beads representing each human in New York City. Have you seen it? Gordon? I don't think so. I don't think can so. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you right now. Sorry for all of our listeners. You can go to the People's Buzz on Instagram and you can find it. Um, the ceiling of the buzz became kind of like a People's Sistine Chapel of sorts. Yes. Um, but it, what was amazing about the buzz is that it was a labor of love. It was created collectively with People, you know, the people's fellows, young people from across the five boroughs. We worked with across, you know, eight different city agencies. We involved all kinds of cultural institutions in the creation of the festival, which is wherever the buzz goes, it creates a celebration of who we are and that we've survived, that we're still here. So within the government, we're yeah. able to do this because there's leaders within that government that enable that kind of thinking and that, that way of approaching the work. And are you working with city, any city council members? Do you work with the mayor's office? What do you do? I work, it depends on the project, but I, I usually collaborate with folks. Like, for example, with Little Amal, we had Shahana Hanish, who was very much involved as the leader of um, the, um, the committee on the migration committee for the city, for city hall. Oh, yo, that's gorgeous. And so the, the floor is mirrored so that you have perspective and can actually see all the imagery. That oh, used to be a prison bus that used to mobilize right. folks. So literally the ceiling has an enormous yellow sun that's optimistic yellow uh, that radiates. And the pattern of the sky is actually all, all shades of blue in a hexagonal pattern because the hexagon represents bees. And whenever I showed up at the Civic Engagement Commission, I am a big uh, follower of Adrian Marie Brown's emergent strategy. And so it's like, how do we copy practices in nature that can support our imagining in the world? And so I was like, let's practice bees. How, you know what, let's make things sweet, like honey. Mm -hmm. How do we make, right? Like if, if, the if the Civic Engagement Commission is having a party, how does the invitation smell like roses and lavender? How do we think about through the senses, inviting folks to imagine government differently? Mm -hmm. um, and so the entire ceiling has this, this hexagonal pattern, but uh, all of the images that are on the ceiling come from postcards. We went around the city asking people what they wanted the people's bus to look like. And then we took their drawings and made a collage that then became the beaded ceiling. Um, that includes artwork from people who are 10 years old. The commissioner, the, Dr. Sarah Said, who's the commissioner of the, of the Civic Engagement Commission has, uh, she made a bunch of um, circular mandalas in her postcard and they're in the front of the bus. Um, but yeah, all kinds of folks participated and then we we created this together. That's awesome. That's so awesome. I can't wait to see it in action, like somewhere. <laughs> it will um, be around this summer in 2023. So what's it going to do this summer? It's going to keep going with the People's Festival and it's also going to, um, we're getting out the vote for the citywide participatory budgeting process, which mm -hmm. is named the People's Money because of the People's Bus and the People's Festival and the People's Work. So what's the People's Festival? The People's Festival is what came out of the People's Bus moving around the city. And so we decided we wanted to have a festival in all the neighborhoods mm -hmm. where COVID had hit hardest ah. within each of the five boroughs. 
And we worked with uh, 30 young people, the People's Fellows, um, who were leading within their boroughs the activations. And so we ended up hiring more than 150 artists to participate in the festival um, in the summer of 2021. And we went to all five boroughs uh, celebrating people, again, that we, were, that we had survived, that we were still here. I love that. And the idea is that if, if, that, if that's how the Civic Engagement Commission shows up for folks, yes. what, how does that relationship begin? And how does it um, inform the way folks relate to the Civic Engagement Commission and what it does in the world? Is it also connected to like, here's more information, here's services, here's, you know. Always. And yeah. so we, it's a party, but at that party, you're mm-hmm. getting like, we, at, at many of the people's festivals, we had a COVID ban, like we had a, a we, people could get vaccines. Yes. And when you think, gosh, what are the pairings? How do you bring in information? How do you make it didactic? I mean, a huge part of the experiment that I'm engaging with right now that I've, that I've been engaging with from the very beginning with the CEC is like, how do we invite people not to table, right? Like to put pamphlets on the table and to put tote bags on the table. Come on, let's, you know, we're in 2022, we're 2023. We need to be doing better. And so how do you create games that mm-hmm. folks can engage with and for me, it's always like, how do we make it more like a festival, right? Like play games, engage dynamically in the questions of where do we put our money? And so for the citywide participatory budgeting process, this May and June, the People's Buzz will be going to all five boroughs. And one of the things that I'm asking myself is, gosh, do we actually invite folks to design a new kissing booth in the style of peanuts so that people can go and vote? Can each borough have one of those? And can we have a design competition that invites folks to imagine what would draw attention and get people to vote and participate, right? Like literally the act of making it a competition and gamifying it invites all of us to participate in what it could be. And I'll give you the beginning. When I showed up at the Civic Engagement Commission, I was like, oh my gosh, even the words the Civic Engagement Commission are prohibitive. They become a barrier to entry because in all of our 11 languages, even in Spanish, I'm like, is it this or is it that? And so immediately I'm like, oh my gosh, that's too complicated. We have to simplify and crystallize so that folks can clearly have an understanding of who we are and who we are is people-centric. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want to be embodied, like the, the values of the Civic Engagement Commission. I was a part of coming up with what they are. It includes transparency, imaginative ways of working, etc. But at the heart of all of those values is people in their bodies living their lives. Mm. And so immediately I was like, so aren't we just the People's Commission? And they said, oh my gosh, you want us to change our name. That means we have to call the lawyers. We have to have public hearings, all of these things. And so I was like, okay, fine. You don't have to change your name. But all the programs that I'm going to create within the agency are going to be called the People's Things because they are, because we're centering people. And that's all we want to talk about. And people in all the languages is people. That's how we landed on that. And that's how I'm going to now work on the creation of the People's Institute, which is an organization that focuses on creativity, the harnessing of creativity and imagination in public spaces. And the idea is to support the Civic Engagement Commission and other city agencies in their approach to civic engagement. But it's really about harnessing creativity and imagination. So like, how do we, how can we make artworks out of all of the things that we do in all of our processes across industries? I really believe that it is a new way of approaching it, mm-hmm. uh, approaching how we build a future that really takes care of all of us. And so the Institute is really a place for me, for, for many of the projects that I've created and participated in over the past 10, 15 years mm-hmm. to be housed there, but also a place where we can begin new ventures, initiatives, programs yes. that really focus on creativity and imagination as a superpower. 
for me, I make the assumption that, you know, we work in a nonprofit with artists across our, all kinds of arts practices and institutional and, not, and, and, and community driven work. What I would love to hear from you a little bit of like, how is my approach unusual? Because the reality is that I think so many of my colleagues and everybody that I'm working with has the capacity and, and, and it's really moving towards this way of approaching things, right? Yeah, I think why I'm, I have stars in my eyes is because, you know, as I said, I have had my little musings over here, just me sitting at a table and I haven't actually been doing, but like you're naming so many things that I am hopeful for and aspirational around. <clears throat> but you're making it sound like it can just happen. <laughs> and I love that. So that's, that's just that. But, you know, I think, I think, you know, trying to, to name, like you said, name things is that while I, I like to think of myself as, as very, I have a lot of breadth. So much of the very distinct specific work that I do is in under one particular category. So when you talk about these things, I'm like, I, I want to be there. I want to go to there, but that's not what I do right now. <laughs> but, but then yes, I was thinking like, Oh, you know, this is this, this could be a new opportunity for me to think differently about some of the work that I am doing in in potential either in relationship to what the people's institute is working on or or something you know that feels still aligned in alignment with the mission of the institution that i work for but actually still can help us to expand um and right now we're working on some goals and i feel like there are some specific things that we're thinking about that you know might might you know find its its connective tissue to what some of the projects that you're working on so that's where the stars is and then I think what I've been, you know, lightly and by lightly, I mean, like I, I talk about it and then I get excited about something and I move. I, I have recently discovered that I like to, to dabble in things. I'm a dabbler. I like to initiate and I don't necessarily want to keep doing something forever. So I, uh, I, and I see that I see evidence of that in different ways in my life. <laughs> One of which is like when I was a kid, I would just like take a class and then I'd be like, great, I understand what that is and move on as opposed to like, now I'm going to be an expert in ballet or, I'm not, you know, I'm not interested in that necessarily. Even in my job, like I like to do different things that all still have the anchor of, of creativity, but now I'm focused on this and then I'm going to be focused on that. And um, what I've been sort of grappling on uh, in terms of my own career and own like trying to understand what I you know have an imagination about what my career could look like doesn't have to be the path that you know the next person uh has had and I don't know what that is I don't know what it is and I don't want to force it but you know when you're talking I'm like oh I wouldn't mind like working in that world well, you know, one of the big things that I, that I recognize in my work and across the world that we inhabit is that governments and institutions are systems. Mm. And oftentimes those systems have not been set up to change. And so often the question that I ask is, who is the chief transformation officer in your life? Who are the chief transformation officers at our company? Who are the chief transformation officers in our community groups? And I, when I think about it, like, often they're missing because there's nobody in charge of change. And so I, I like to think about Octavia Butler and her in, her inviting us to think about Gata's change, that it's continuous and it's present. And so how are we adapting and how are we allowing for that adaptation all of the time, 
right? Who's here to remind us that things are changing and therefore we need to be changing. Yeah. And so in, in all of these systems, a huge part of my work as an artist has been to, can we imagine differently? What does that look like? What does it feel like? Does it feel like when we begin our meetings at the CDC, we begin with a poem every time we have a meeting? What does that do to the conversation we have after the poem, right? After hearing Rilke or James Baldwin or whomever, right? I, how does that shift the conversation we're about to have? And so what are practices we can bring in to alter the way we expect, to alter our expectations? So often when I think about the best kind of art, the best kind of art disarms us. It gives us a new room to inhabit. It invites us into a new feeling, a new space um, to explore. I don't know. And so I think I am continuously engaging with that. And I will tell you that while I sound like I'm, a, I'm practicing all of these things and I'm living through them. I will tell you that I am an, a freelance artist that continues to struggle with, fine, with the question of my finances. I'm learning still about what it means to like build a 401k and all that stuff. And there's disciplines and practices that I have to bring into my life at the age of 41 where I still need support and, and I am getting some support and I am working through that. But it, it, there are a lot of other spaces that I've had the privilege of, of having lived experiences that have led me to these beliefs and these ways of, of thinking and doing. Um, but I think these are really good questions that we should all be asking. Yeah, I agree. And and in terms of like different kinds of supports, like we are told in the, in, you know, in our society that you should just pick yourself up by your bootstraps. That's such bullshit because nobody, no, literally nobody does and nobody can do anything alone. And even those people who tout that shit, you know, they're getting lots of their nepotism and other sorts of handouts and, and, but it just looks different than, you know, social programs. <laughs> um, but and just thinking about like that concept of, you know, you got to just do it, it regardless of, you know, your culture, where you came from, um, you know, being able to name, being able to acknowledge, I don't have the skill set, but I want the skill set. I'm going to reach out and find the resources to help me, build a practice around my finances or build a practice around X, Y, or Z. Like there's no, I want to, I want to I, I demystify the shame around needing support. We need each other. My friend Dick Scanlon, who is a wonderful human being who invited me into this program called Arts Inside Out, a, a program at Encosis Haven in Johannesburg, South Africa, where I've had the privilege of being an artist in residence and to leave, I was um, an on administrator for the program one year, but basically the summer camp for children and uh, women directly affected by the HIV epidemic mm -hmm. in Johannesburg. Um, and he always talks about the notion of like why people have given the word needy a bad name. And it's mm -hmm. like, we are needy, we need each other. It's essential, it's critical. Like we cannot survive without the warmth of each other. And that's like li literal, like, um, and so, I, I just think about him naming that for me and, and remember that how, how, how important it was for me to understand that like I am needy and there I am and enjoy me and you're welcome. You're giving me some inspiration inspo around, you know, what I said before, just going back to my like, I don't know what I want to do with the rest of my life. I don't want to do what I, I don't know what I want to do when I grow up. That concept um, going back to like Mauricio, you know, you have you have you can have multiple chapters in your life and it doesn't mean that just because you're pursuing a new chapter or a different you know career path means that you have to actually stop being the thing that you were before it's adding to and it's expanding and the idea of you know coming in like allowing your imagination to soar and then finding ways to activate that imagination 
you know, that's, that's very disruptive. <laughs> when I think about my practices, um, the, the question of trauma-informed practices mm-hmm. and or anti-racism and equity, um, mm-hmm. one of the things that, I, that came forward for me when I was thinking about that was the notion of bias training and the awareness of like, what is the judgment around someone who doesn't finish things? What is the judgment around someone? But And so one of my favorite games ever that I love playing whenever I have the opportunity to bring people together to learn about each other is a game in which I invite people to identify what kind of person they are when they go into the pond, um, a, a, a pond they've never been to before that's cold. And so there's divers, people who dive right into the pond. There's waiters who go slowly into the pond, taking their time, easy as easy does it. And then there's testers, people who are gonna test that water, test the depth, really understand the parameters before they go into that water. And I invite folks to, to go into those groupings and within those groupings, they then work on identifying each other and saying what kind of people are in those groups. Mm. And my favorite thing is that in those, in the way that people identify each other, there's a lot, like some people are like, oh, those testers, they're so boring. Well, they're so slow and like all these biases come up that are really human yeah. but then we get to a place in the conversation where we can identify oh my gosh all these typologies of people yes we are that and we are other things and maybe i'm a little bit of like one and a half of this and one and a half of that and maybe what i am changes depending on where i am mm-hmm. and then we at the, the, the final conclusion the most beautiful part of it is that we conclude with the notion that everyone's necessary because in in complementing each other we make a whole mm-hmm. and so I salute and celebrate the woman in you who is looking at and analyzing this way of being and the practices that you've been engaging with for the past however many decades. Mm-hmm. And I invite you to like recognize those, celebrate them and engage in change if there needs to be change. Well, thank you. I feel the same. I mean, it's almost like action research is if if I really want to think yeah. about it like that. Like, you know, I had a question when I was four, I had a question. What is it what does it mean to be a ballerina? My parents signed me up for a class because I asked for it. And then I took it for a summer and I was like, oh, okay, I have a better sense now. And they're like, do you want to keep going? I was like, no, I'm good. I get it. Yeah. Moving on. <laughs> Action okay. research. Uh, but, but that, but you're right. The stigma, there's a lot of stigma around like not finishing. And, you know, there was lots of fights in my house where I was like, I'm done with that now. I'm moving on to something else. And they're like, what is wrong with you? Nothing nothing's wrong with me. I'm just exploring. I'm an explorer. (laughs) Yeah. And, and, and I can see how that is manifesting in my, in my adult life in, in, and yet there are things that stick. And even within the things that are sticking, I'm still like, there's so much more for me to explore and learn and grow into. Um, and so there's, there's things that, you know, one might identify as, um, but like you said, like the, the liminal spaces of that can, can, can really inform, you know, am I going to take a class? Am I going to, am I going to have a conversation? Am I going to read a book? Am I going to have, you know, you know, talk to somebody who's doing something that I had a big question about, but don't necessarily need to do, but I want to know more about it. You know, Courtney, I also want to name something because we, again, the spaces that we inhabit together and the kind of work that we do. Yeah. I, I think people would make the assumption that like working on a project like Little Amal, right? Little Amal Walks New York City, so progressive, so well-funded, um, mm-hmm. so expansive because we worked on 50 events on a, a period of 17 days. That's crazy, by the way. It was crazy. It was crazy. And it was harmful to some degree to um, many of us who worked on the project yeah. because of the level of stress and the level of 
you know, what do you sacrifice to make something like that happen? Yeah. Um, but I bring that up only because when I think about one of the questions that I have in relationship to the work that I do in this moment, mm -hmm. I think about, gosh, even within these spaces, there's so many limitations and there's so many challenges. Because when I think about like the question we're asking about having the capacity to change, to have multiple careers, to be multiple things, even within the constructs we're inhabiting as progressive as they are, these are practices that live on that are that that we so socialize among each other and keep present. And so um, mm -hmm. it when I think about it, I'm like, yes, there's so much that we've learned. And yes, we it's a little bit I think about like land acknowledgements. I hear land acknowledgements all over the place now. I wish those land acknowledgements represented investments in financial shifts to so many of the way the ways in which you know, what, what are we saying in those land acknowledgements and what is actually being practiced and who takes the money home at the end of the day, right? Who's making money and who's being paid. And so there's so many constructs in our in, in, in many of our spaces that we can name the things that we're naming so, as we are naming them now. And still there's challenges to shift and change the policies and the budget lines mm -hmm. and, and all of that. Um, I don't know if you feel like, uh, that's true within the constructs that you're in. We're still just at, at naming <laughs> places in certain ways and um, wordsmithing. I'm interested in crystallizing, but I'm not always able to like be like, mm, there it is. That's it. You know? Uh, and so I, I am interested in, in, yeah, I mean, we've had want, we've been wanting to have a more concre concretized conversation about what is the action behind a land acknowledgement um, and, and it's still sort of sitting in a parking lot, uh, you know, and I, I don't know when we're going to have that conversation. I feel hopeful about so many things. And I also feel like who's like, is there a drive? Is there an engine behind this? Where is the engine coming from? But we're the engine, Courtney. No, I know. But I want somebody else to also be the engine. We have to take care of each other. Yeah. And the people who are here to take care of each other are the people who are here to take care of each other. And we got to move through it. Well, yeah. I feel like what, what I've been able to bring to the program with all of my work is that I bring people together to bring visions to life. That practice cannot be done enough, right? Like we, there's so much work that's being done in the government that's like literally parallel work because people are in silos. Yes. So I have no idea what other departments of the government are doing because I'm over here in my corner. And the more we can actually be in presence with each other, the more we can understand how to do that work together and how to save money. Or we reallocate all the resources so that they're actually being able to feel expanded in a way that, yeah. you know, like it, it isn't waste. It actually is serving the people. Um, yeah. So I guess, I guess my question that's bubbling up right now is you have, you've named quite a few different projects around that. Where do we go from your experience of how to support, how to, to be more interconnected from a, a bureaucratic perspective, a government perspective, and a community perspective, whether it's in New York City or elsewhere? Well, the first thing that I think about, and it goes back to my experience with CEC from the very beginning, was that jargony language gets in the way of us building meaningful relationships. Mm -hmm. And so the way we name things, the way we talk about what programs are and what they do, all of this, doing so in simple language that people can access. Mm -hmm. There's so much jargon within government and in general that like we have people who are who are out here trying to sound brilliant with very expansive vocabularies. Congratulations. Where we are in this moment, we need everybody to communicate and understand each other. And to be able to do that, we need simple language that's clear and direct. And so when I think about people building trust in the world, I think 
How do we get folks to show up and get to know each other? All kinds of folks. When I when Brick commissioned me in Brooklyn to create an installation in public space for their 40 year anniversary, what we came up with was the Future Historical Society, a group of people who was who who lived um, on both sides of uh, Fort Greene, right? Mm -hmm. The people when we think about the, the evolution of Fort Greene and um, gentrification there, uh, it's such an obvious example of like, oh my goodness, white folks moved in and took over the nice part of the neighborhood and that's gonna expand and move towards, you know, towards the water more and more as, as we've seen it evolve. Uh, and then the folks who live in, 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 the, in the housing mm -hmm. um, projects in, in that part of town, Literally, there was no, where do those folks gather with each other? Where is that, where is that down hall where people are hanging out and meeting each other and making projects together? And so literally we paid 24 people to show up every other week to be a part of the Future Historical Society to collaborate on imagining stories and projects of stores, the park, uh, we, a, a church, which was a part of the Underground Railroad. I mean, literally we, collect, we created projects around historic sites that everyone treasured. And so everyone from people who have just moved in, people who've been living there for 50 years, mm. all were hanging out in the same room, getting to know each other. Mm. So much of my work is simply about that, that who gets invited and how are they getting invited and what are they doing when they show up in the room that is about collaboration and about lighting each other up in terms of creativity and imagination and moving through a process where we make something impossible happen. Mm. And so time and again, I find like, in, in my, my biggest successes and my greatest artworks are the friendships of the people who are in love with each other in the world because they met working, working with me. Thank you for listening to episode 64, act one of Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body, Yasmani Arboleda, Mobilizing Interdependence. Join us next time for act two. This podcast is edited and produced by Ben Weber. Christopher Totten is the director of creative content. Jonna Waldman wrote and performed the theme song. Tim Palin designed the logo. Visit us at www.teachingartistry.org and head to the pod shop at the top of the page for merch. Find us on Instagram at Teaching Artistry Podcast. And now on YouTube, check out the Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body channel and watch We Can't Go Back. Like our page on Facebook, listen to us on SoundCloud and Spotify, subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts, and be sure to share this podcast with all the teaching artists in your life. Let's start it up now. Let's start it up now. Ooh.